On today's episode, why PHT exercises are now affecting the other leg. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. struggled with the title for this episode a little bit because um, I'm going to be replying to a Facebook uh, post from someone with PHT and didn't really know how to effectively title this episode, but um, I thought it was a nice post because there was a lot of questions in there, a lot of confusions and thought I would turn into an entire episode just to clear things up. And it comes from Susanna and It was just in one of the PHT Facebook groups. She reached out and posted onto the main feed. And I'll read it out now and then we'll dive into a fair few of the questions and the scenario that Susanna finds herself in. So the post was, reached next level of insanity. Since about two weeks, my healthy leg is in pain because of PHT. Because of my other hammy, I can't run, jump, walk too much, and only sit on cushions. This PHT on the right side started after doing hamstring exercises, exercises that should heal or prevent PHT. The exercises were, number one, single leg elevated hip thrusts, uh, which essentially is like doing a bridge, but your feet are on the floor and the back of your shoulders are elevated onto a bench. So you're kind of in a a bit more of a... um, inclined position and then you either put weights or body weight and do like a bridge kind of exercise number two single leg glute bridges with straight legs so more of a long lever glute bridge so those two Susanna continues I never had any tendon problems before my injury two years ago on the left leg so now she has symptoms on both sides from doing these exercises and she asks, so how can these exercises cause PHT on the healthy leg? And what should I do for rehab when PT exercises cause PHT? Very good question. Very good um, scenario. And that's why I decided to turn this into an episode. I thought it might help clear things up. Even if this isn't you, if this is not your scenario, if you don't have PHT on the other side, um, I still think this episode is really nice to understand why PHT occurs, why overuse running related injuries occur and just helps understand the pathology a little bit more. So I thought I'd dive in. I thought I'd start off um, by saying that a lot of, a lot of the content, a lot of what I've wrote out here, a lot of the dot points, this is a lot of me just making guesses or making assumptions based on Susanna's like limited information, because usually as a physio, when we want to provide tailored, effective information, we want to have as much information as possible. So um, 
for example, we don't know how heavy those exercises were. We didn't know how often she did them. We didn't know how long, if there was any particular scenarios outside of those exercises that might have affected things. But the, uh, Suzanne is probably going to listen to this and say, no, that's not my scenario whatsoever. But it's only just based on the limited information I know. So sorry, Susanna, if I'm leading down the wrong path. But just my thoughts might help the understanding of the scenario and help everyone else listening who does have PHT that might be a better um, better understanding. And so we'll continue on the, now that I've sort of mentioned that these are just going to be guesses and going to be assumptions. But um, I thought it would be useful to start with just recapping the universal rules of load versus capacity, because this is the vast majority of running related injuries, overuse injuries, PHT exercises that aren't, I guess, traumatic. Like if you haven't fallen or tripped or um, twisted or been tackled or something that's very traumatic, like very instantaneous to develop a PHT pathology, sometimes like a, a tendon tear or something. If it has been from overuse, it's most likely going to be um, around this load versus capacity relationship. So I've discussed this on the podcast before, but let's have a little bit of a recap. So load versus capacity is just essentially the load that you place on your body, particularly the tendon, if that load exceeds its inbuilt capacity, its inbuilt maximum threshold to tolerate the load, then it will become an overloaded pathology. So we need to make sure that we understand the load that we place upon it. So that might be running duration, that might be running speed, that might be uphill running, that might be deadlifts, lunges, squats, cycling, all these sorts of things. It might be sitting on a hard surface for way too long. All of this load accumulates. And if this accumulated load exceeds the maximum capacity that that tendon can hold, then pathology begins to occur. And the capacity can be manipulated in a few ways, but I might get into that a little bit later, but just recap yourself on that particular relationship, the load versus capacity relationship. Um, And then also a bit of a refresher of the pain, rest, weakness downward spiral that I've mentioned in the earlier episodes that diminishes capacity. So if there's pain, a lot of people rest or do a lot less than what they once did. That contributes to weakness. If someone were to try and return to those activities, that tendon is a little bit weaker than what it was. More pain arises. They think they need more rest or they back off their exercises. Um, They fall back to another safe zone, which again fosters weakness this downward spiral can be quite sudden. It can take maybe only three, four weeks, or it could be a very slow downward spiral that sometimes takes years. Um, Because not only does it diminish the tendon, it also diminishes the rest of the body. Because I'm hearing Susanna say, okay, with this PHT with the pre-existing PHT, I can't run, I can't jump, I can't walk too much, and I'm only sitting with cushions. I'm assuming that that is um, a behavior or a habit that has slowly formed over time. So 
maybe you were running initially and PHT symptoms occurred. So then you backed off the running, but we're still running. And then symptoms occurred again. And just slowly over months or years, the you've slowly retreated back to then being like, I can't run any sort of running dosage, um, increases symptoms, any sort of jumping increases symptoms. And then that falls back again over months to say, you know what, even if I walk too far, that starts to produce symptoms. So now I have to be really careful about how far I walk. And we've seen it time and time again with PHT cases of being able to sit for a certain duration, you know, two hours after two hours, I get really agitated, really sore, and I have to stand up and walk around. And so the habit becomes, okay, let me only sit for an hour and then I'll stand up and walk around and do all these things. And as the months go on, then all of a sudden an hour becomes too much. And then a few months later, 20 minutes becomes too much. And then that downward spiral will slowly generate until sometimes in some cases, people just avoid sitting altogether because any sort of sitting produces symptoms. But as the months go on, that tendon is now not used to sitting and its capacity to sit is really, really low. And it's just because of that behavior of retreating back, retreating back, retreating back to safety and that pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral, just contributing and becoming more severe. And so if Susanna is saying, I can't run, can't jump, can't walk too much and can only sit with cushions, I'm just assuming that the capacity of that tendon is diminishing, but also the capacity of the rest of the body is also diminishing because when you stop running, the whole body stops running, not just that tendon. And so the other side, the other hamstring tendon, if we want to hone in on that, is also diminishing in its capacity. It's almost like if I was to come up with a really extreme analogy, let's just say someone's in the gym and they really want to strengthen their biceps. Um, So they do their bicep curls on both sides and they get nice and strong. And then all of a sudden an injury happens, let's say a broken arm. And instead of putting one arm in a cast, they're now putting both arms in a cast. That will diminish the strength and capacity of both sides. So if you're running and building up a lot of strength, a lot of endurance, a lot of capacity, and then all of a sudden you stop running, you'll stop, you've stopped running on both sides. And so both will diminish. So as I'm reading this post and just visualizing over years, like Susanna's capacity on both sides, not running, not sitting, um, not sitting on firm surfaces anyway, eventually the, that trajectory continues and the capacity becomes lower and lower and lower. And then, then the rehab exercises become almost like more and more of a threat to exceed that capacity. So we hypothetically have like a weaker body then we're subjecting to heavier exercises. And these are hamstring exercises as well. So um, hamstring specific um, because we have that single leg hip thrust. We have those single leg long lever bridges. Uh, Not sure what the dosage is, not sure the sets and reps and the weights and those sorts of things or how often Susanna's doing these throughout the week. Um, again, using my the, the information that I have available to me. Um, this is probably why both legs have diminished in capacity. But when you do these exercises, you've wound up with a hamstring exercise and not, say, an Achilles 
injury or a calf strain or um, a lateral hip pain, it's because these are hamstring exercises. So when Susanna asks like this, these, why have I developed PHT on this other side when they're meant to be, when they're meant to heal or prevent PHT? Well, yes, they're meant to heal and prevent PHT because it's meant to utilize that. It's meant to isolate that tendon. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but um, other things that could have contributed. So maybe if we're focusing on those two exercises and saying this contributed to the PHT on the other side, um, maybe there's some other things going on. Maybe because we don't know other exercises that could have been done. We don't know exercises that other exercises that were done potentially. Um, we don't know what the walking was throughout the day. We don't know if there was sitting, too much sitting. Um, because we could do these two exercises and it contributes to it contributes to load of the hamstring tendon. But also on that day, you might've been sitting a little bit longer than usual, or maybe the last couple of days you've done a little bit more sitting, or maybe the last couple of days been done a little bit more walking or maybe done gardening. And, you know, I've seen a lot of PhD flare ups from gardening and maybe is not in the forefront of your mind. And therefore, if we've done gardening, let's hypothetically done some gardening, done a little bit more sitting, had to do a long drive to visit some family and then done these hamstring exercises that has then caused PHT on both sides. Maybe all of this is a contributing factor, but then again, that's the load. But in this relationship load versus capacity, we can look at the other side of the equation and say, there are some lifestyle factors that affect capacity. We're talking about lack of sleep. We're talking about stress, like stress management, we're talking about diet, um, these sorts of things, if not all checked, can diminish the capacity of the body. It limits the body from tolerating certain exercises or certain loads that it could once tolerate. So maybe around this time that scenario that this both sides have become affected maybe there was poor quality sleep or stress management as a scenario just putting that out there load versus capacity we need to look at both of those two components in that relationship then we have this scenario of what didn't used to cause irritation now causes irritation and then it just spirals from there i sort of talked about this a little bit at the start or a little bit earlier but there's Susanna's like kind of puzzling question of how can exercises flare up my hamstring when it should be healing and preventing me from um, generating PHT. And I hear this quite often. I get clients who say, you know, I hear deadlifts are really good, I, uh, but they just don't work for me because I've done deadlifts in the past and they've flared me up. And I've also had clients say, you know, I just don't sit. Sitting's no good for me because as soon as I sit, things flare up. Um, but while they flare up because you're targeting that certain area, they're designed to target that area. We want to isolate the hamstring tendon with things like deadlifts and lunges because that's what we want to do. We want to train that tendon to build up its capacity and finding an exercise that hones in on that area is the right thing to do. But 
if you do too much, if the dosage isn't right, if it's too heavy, if you're doing too many, if you're doing them too frequently throughout the week, if that isn't correct, then it will flare things up because we're targeting that one area. But if you get it right and you train that exercise within your adaptation zone and then build up from there, then it's actually extremely beneficial because you're targeting that area. If you were to do, say, calf raises, very hard to build up the capacity of the tendon if you're doing calf raises because it doesn't really target the area. It doesn't isolate that particular muscle group, that tendon, that unit. And so this is why exercises that are designed to prevent and heal the PHT have the potential to flare things up because you just get the dosage wrong in that honed in isolated exercise. So um, if things have flared you up in the past, if you're really hesitant to do deadlifts because deadlifts have flared you up, don't avoid doing them. You need to embrace them just with a new dosage um, and make this what was your weak link, your strong link. We want to make sure that if you have any weak links in your chain, we make it your strongest. And if even the slightest bit of a deadlift action has flared you up, that is a severely weak point for you that you need to get stronger. And you get stronger by doing it at a better dosage, at a right dosage, and then building up from there. So at the moment we have answered, or hopefully answered Susanna's questions of um, how can these exercises cause PHT on the healthy leg? Because we're talking about diminishing capacity on both sides. We've answered um, the question around why are these exercises that are designed to heal the PHT actually causing a flare up? Um, And I guess, what was the other one? Um, What should I do for rehab when PT exercises cause PHT? I guess, it's just getting the right dosage, maybe doing something different, maybe doing a few different exercises and building up from there. Um, but I thought I'd finish off with just like, in addition, things to prevent this downward spiral, because I know some of you listening would be like, okay, so running's flaring things up. So I have no option, but to reduce my running. Uh, but that's contributing to a pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral that we don't want. So what, what do I do? So I've got five dot points here just to, you know, help encourage, um, or foster the delaying process or the prevention of this downward spiral in the first place. The first dot point here I have is, um, be proactive. If you can't run 30 kilometers per week because it flares up the PhD. Yes, you might have to reduce it to 20 kilometers per week and just see how symptoms feel. And if that's good, then you stay there. Don't get way too um, cautious, fearful, um, and drop down to zero for two weeks. We want to just dial things back a little bit just to see how things feel. Um, But you're still being active. You're still doing things. Um, which brings me to my next point, which is be progressive. Find a dosage that you do agree with. Find a dosage, a sitting dosage, a deadlift dosage, a running dosage, cycling dosage that you can tolerate and then very slowly build up from there because that's building you back up out of that downward spiral. You cannot simply drop your 
kilometers to from 30 down to 10 per week and stay there for six to eight weeks and expect any improvement because that is fostering that downward spiral. So make sure we're proactive. We're still doing things that symptoms allow and then we're progressive to build ourselves back out of it. Number three, sleep well, control your stress, have nice nutrition. This is building up the capacity. So we're monitoring and progressing the loads while we're making sure that the capacity within our body can maintain higher loads. Very important. Number four, cross training. So there might be a scenario where you have to go from 30Ks down to 10Ks per week simply because of symptoms of being too severe, um, but we have cross-training options. We have hit classes, we have cycling, we have swimming, we have using the rower, we have jump rope, we have all these sort of things at our disposal that we can use to maintain, preserve a lot of strength, fitness um, in both legs to you know preserve the capacity of both proximal hamstring tendons, but also the calves, the Achilles, the feet, the hips, everything um, that we can do through cross-training. So that's the fourth tip. And the fifth and final one is just have good, well-balanced rehab, rehabilitation exercises, because you might need to reduce that running. But if you can tolerate some level of calf raises, lunges, squats, deadlifts, then we're doing those and we're again being progressive, but this is attempting to bridge the gap between your current capacity, what your current PHT sweet spot is and where you need it to be. Because the gap between where you currently find yourself and where you want to be might be um, quite substantial, but it's all about finding steps in between those two points what we call our rehab ladder. So we need to find rungs or steps in between now and where you need to be, and then just working your way up from there. And we do that. That's what good rehab entails. And it's what we should all be including if we have any sort of injury, finding where our current capacity is, what goals you have, and then just building a systematic approach from there, which is what I do all the time. It's why I work with runners. We can do that online. Um, even without runners, like I've had cyclists, I've had people who aren't really that active that have PHT. Um, they, their rehab ladder might be, I can only sit for five minutes and I need to sit for 60 minutes. That might be a current to future capacity. And it's how do we get there by building in those steps? Um, I hope that made sense. If you do need a tailored kind of program, I do have that link to a free 20 minute injury chat in every podcast episode. Um, so you can always sign up to that and we can have a chat and see what that looks like for you. But I hope that made sense. And Susanna, if you're listening, I hope this helps. Um, like I say, there might be some nuances in here that I just, details I just don't know, but um, I hope it helps the understanding. And if you, uh, if other listeners have PhD on one side or on both sides, I hope this has helped some understanding. So Hope you enjoyed and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description and all the links will be there waiting for you. 
congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.